You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back at you with another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. We have a very interesting class this evening, show, class, whichever you want to call it, podcast later for those that are listening to the audio recorded version. Uh, we're going to be talking about UFO abduction and time loss. We've been very thematic here lately with time, time travel, how time works. Well, wouldn't you know, I'm writing a book on the subject, which will be out here August. <laughs> That's all I'm saying for now is August. So a lot of work has been put into this, uh, kind of the final stages of the whole process. All right. So for those listening later to the podcast version, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for the full Connecting the Universe experience on ConnectedUniversePortal.com. 30-day free trial, which gives you access to, of course, the weekly interactive class, sneak, be sneak peek and behind-the-scenes videos, monthly Q&As, exclusive articles, insider travel vlogs like Ancient Egypt, America Southwest, Ireland, all of that and more, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Dot com And I do challenge you to try to soak in all that information within 30 days. That is a challenge that I put out to you. By the way, for those who are members of the Connected Universe Portal, please go ahead and get the app. Um, it gives you immediate access to you know all the new posts, uh, all of the latest information when we go live here. Boom, it'll pop up right on your phone and you'll be good to go. Um, we did just have the uh, monthly Q&A video come out last week. Check that out if you missed it, members. And then also coming up here very, very soon, of course, Paris Icon here in a couple of weeks at the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio. That's uh, May 19th, 20th, and 21st. 19th is the uh, VIP meet and greet. And then uh, the two-day event for uh, that uh, Saturday and Sunday. And then just two weeks later, we have the uh, Connecting the Universe, the event at Bell Mansion in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So go to my website, MikeRicksecker.com, and uh, you'll have all the links there to be able to get into uh, those events. So please, by all means, check it out. All right, class question for this evening. On UFO and time loss. What do you think happens to time during ET abductions when people report a time loss? So um, had Jen answer, I think time stops for the person abducted if time really exists. <laughs> yeah, uh, of course, I always throw that out there at the end. You know, until next time, if time really exists because time doesn't really exist. It is a human construct to basically describe our reality okay we're going to start with betty and barney hill uh this is of course one of the bigger more famous cases uh september 1961 in new hampshire and they actually have a historic marker out there for it now uh university of new hampshire also has a rather extensive archive on this uh, entire incident. And you can even read here on the side, uh, the state of New Hampshire, seal of the state of New Hampshire, Betty and Barney Hill incident. You know, on the night of September 19th to 20th, 1961, Portsmouth, New Hampshire couple 
Betty and Barney Hill experienced a close encounter with an unidentified flying object in two hours of quote-unquote lost time while driving south on Route 3 near Lincoln. So that is actually on the historic marker. Um, they did file an official report with uh, with Project Blue Book. And this has been a um, you know pretty renowned case for a long, long time. Basically, they're on their, their way home uh, from vacation. They were uh, at Niagara Falls. They came uh, through Montreal on the way back. And then as they were... Uh, on their way home, all of a sudden, you know, they saw these bright lights in the sky and blank. By the time they got home, uh, it was, you know, two hours of lost time there where they should have already been home by the time they got there. And like, where, where did those extra two hours go? They knew something happened with the bright lights and they ended up going through uh, some hypnosis sessions and, Basically, what they discovered was that uh, th these bright lights were some sort of unidentified flying object, some sort of extraterrestrial craft. Uh, they were brought in by the ETs and basically had medical experiments uh, conducted upon them. Uh, There's some really eerie uh, audio uh, footage there from the uh, hypnosis sessions. They recorded them, and you hear Barney screaming, you know, uh, Things like, you know, Betty, Betty, we need to get out of here. And, um, of course, since it's, you know, old analog tape, it's, uh, you know, really, really creepy sounding. Uh, but this has been a, you know, very famous case for a long, long time. I'm not going to get very detailed with this because there's plenty of books and literature and television shows and things like this on this particular case. Um, but really what's interesting to us is uh, the, the time loss factor. Now, with, with uh, Betty and Barney, uh, everything just was, you know, immediate. You know, they were, they continued to drive on. It was as if nothing had happened. So you could say, yeah, two hours passed. They spent two hours on the craft. Well, we really don't know because how did they end up from the state of driving to this whole incident occurring to suddenly being back on the road and continuing to drive as if almost nothing had happened. They knew they had seen something. They, you know, felt awkward. Something was off, this sort of thing. Something happened to them, uh, and they couldn't really explain what until they went through the hypnosis session. So those are the types of things that we're going to kind of focus in and talk about uh, this particular evening. We have some, uh, again, some long extended clips from Edge of the Rabbit Hole sessions. We've talked to a couple of individuals who have had, uh, you know, these particular incidents. So um, we have uh, some other comments down in the chat. Oh, Haley's in here as well. Uh, great to see you, Haley. And uh, yes, Victoria, uh, Jim Penniston, that is uh, we have, <laughs> I have a number of, uh, segments from him, from both the first interview when you're actually one of the participants in the chat to the second interview when you were my uh, co-hostess, uh, with Jim. So, uh, other big one that, uh, I want to, uh, put out here, of course, is, uh, Travis Walton fire in the sky case. And, uh, this one was 1974. Five Snowflake, Arizona. Um, I guess, Victoria, I should ask you, was that around the time you were in Arizona? Because I know you spent some time there. As part of a logging crew, uh, seven members on the crew, they were driving back after a shift all in the same pickup. Uh, saw a light in the trees. Uh, Travis got out of the truck and started walking toward it. And you know, basically, this bluish-green light came out zapped Travis in the chest. He was thrown back about 15 feet, freaked the other guys out. Uh, they started driving off because uh, they were frightened. And uh, the driver, Mike Rogers, ended up stopping the truck like, wait a minute, you know, our, our friend just, you know, got thrown back. We need to go back and get him. They kind of argued about it for a moment, saw this flash of light and figured whatever the heck was making that light and threw Travis back was gone. So they went back and they did not find him. They uh, ended up reporting what happened to law enforcement. 
law enforcement didn't believe their story about the UFO. There are all kinds of search parties that were uh, sent out. And over the course of the next few days, law enforcement became very, very suspicious that foul play was involved. Somebody maybe, you know, murdered Travis, that sort of thing. Um, the men in black showed up, uh, which, you know, they, they, those guys tend to kind of come into these type of cases, but, um, yeah, these, you know, these would have been more of like the government official type of men in black. There's various different kinds, whether, you know, the ones that are at, may actually be, um, DTs themselves. Uh, you do have the, you know, I worked for NSA for, uh, a few years. I know those guys exist um i have in some ways uh worked with them before uh definitely behind the scenes guys uh, but basically it was five days later uh one night travis's brother-in-law gets this call and it's travis on the other end and basically he's you know at another nearby town in a phone booth and has no idea how he got there they drove out and got him and basically he ends up you know, describing that, um, you know, one, he was cold, but, you know, he basically woke up on the ground in the middle of the street and was, you know, walking aimlessly for a while trying to find a phone. You know, this is 1975. You basically had to find a phone booth or something to, to call somebody, um, you know, no cell phones back then. And he thought it was the same night. He did not know five days had passed. So, you know, what happened to that missing time? Well, again, going through a hypnosis session, um, he has this very, very you know, interesting tale of basically, you know, waking up on the craft, um, essentially describes like the gray alien uh, type of creatures. Uh, he described them as more like a whitish and about five feet tall, big eyes, that sort of thing. Um, he got up from the table that he was on, something was like on his chest, got up from the table, found something to to swing at them. They kind of just walked away. They didn't really have any emotion, expression, that sort of thing. He kind of found himself wandering through the ship until you know, he ran into this much larger, what he described as like a human type of being wearing some sort of helmet. He basically escorted him off the ship into um, almost kind of like a hangar type area into a room where they there are these other large, tall, human type of beings they put him down on the table and boom you know he wakes up and he's on the ground in the uh or in the middle of the street five days later so it's not really enough time there either four or five days to have passed so while you could say okay maybe his time those five days was spent in the ship sure maybe but it seems in some ways that we're in, you know, time is working differently for these other beings that, you know, the time to get up off of a table, run around a little bit, and then be thrown back down onto another table is not five days worth. Maybe they had them knocked out for that amount of time. Um, you know, and it's taking, you know, something's being done to at least repress the memories that, or it could even be the you know human psychosis that has um, you know done something to them to uh, or the human psychosis has done something that will block it and takes a hypnosis to recall the um, you know the entire memory and you know I went through a, a hypnosis session a couple of years ago now about my experience that I had with the shadow entity in my bedroom when I was eight years old. And while I, you know, pretty much distinctly recall all of that event from my perspective, I was able to glean other details and other information from the hypnosis session that I had regarding that. So uh, that in itself really helps to kind of, um, you know, answer some questions and get more information about uh, what's going on in these different events. And uh, Victoria St. Travis's book terrified me. It was the book that changed my views. That's interesting. That's interesting. And okay, so you're a there a little bit before. Okay. So, um, all right. Those are kind of the big ones. And I would refer, you know, on to other books and material that is, um, is written about those. Uh, 
I want to bring up, we'll start with uh, Jim's story. So basically the two people that we're going to be uh, presenting this evening from our edge of the rabbit hole uh, interviews that we did. And you know, the first, the first clip has my first uh, co-host is Vanessa. And, and I think the beginning of the second clip as well. Uh, and then you'll see Victoria. <laughs> um, but um, it's Jim Pennison and Terry Lovelace. And I, I allow them to give you the background of the story and what happened as we kind of, you know, step through the whole thing. And they each in their own ways have their own type of time loss where, well, I guess you'll see. And we'll kind of break down um, you know, what may have happened in these different incidents. Uh, Terry seems to be more along the lines of um, Betty and Bernie, Bernie Hill and Travis Walton, where Jim's is, um, let's say, a bit different. Uh, I started getting him to a tree line, and then we st I started feeling things like um, static electricity. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm I Oh, and I should say <laughs> before, I should preface this a little bit better. Um, so Jim Penniston, Rendlesham Forest Incident, 1980. He was a member of the security police uh, there in the Air Force, uh, at the Air Force base that was there. And when they were alerted to what was going on out in the forest. He was one of the guys that was first on site to this. So give you a little bit of background because he launched it where I haven't picked up the story. Uh, they're already out there at the forest. Uh, I started getting to a tree line and then we st I started feeling things like um, static electricity. Mm -hmm. Okay, on my face and skin, hair, clothes. That was odd. I mean, it wasn't adrenaline. I, I mean, I'm pretty used. To, I'm pretty used to these crash scenes, so it's it's not adrenaline, right. um, but it was continuous. Uh, then I uh, started in the forest. I got Burroughs, who's about 20 feet to my right. I got Cabanzac sitting about 50 feet to my left rear, uh, and I'm not hearing anybody on the radio. So mm -hmm. in hopes that I'm doing the right, they can hear me, which is a good probability. I keep doing my security checks. Sure. I keep, I keep letting them know what I'm doing. So I started to proceed in, in farther and there's a big flash of light. I mean, it was like, just boom, no sound though. So it was just reaction. I just, you know, I hit the ground and then I, and I see that, you know, Burroughs over there was, uh, and went down too. And we got up, you know, I started brushing myself off and he's just standing there motionless. And I said, what the hell is that? And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong with him? And as I entered, uh, cause I got this situation in front of me right. and I'm on, I'm on arm too, by the way. So I get there a little bit, uh, farther and there's a berm and I start to go over this berm and there's, there's just a bright light that's going on there. And this bright light starts to, uh, dissipate as I walk toward it i'm having problems uh physically uh getting there uh if, like uh, my movements felt labored okay uh so like you're kind of like would, trudging along to get in there well it'd be uh, the comparison to it would be like uh, being in a pool of water oh okay uh, waist high and you're trying to walk to the other side of the water mm -hmm. uh to you know to in a pool yeah it's you're 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 labored gotcha Okay. Uh, the closer I got to the top of the berm, the less labored I got. Uh, and there was complete silence. So as I come over there, I still see this, this big, huge, white, dull uh, light that's coming, just sitting there in, in, in between the trees. Okay. And uh, then I, uh, it starts to dissipate. I started seeing a structured craft, a triangular craft, and then I could start seeing uh, like l multiple lights running through the skin of the craft, the fabric of the craft. Um, I was uh, I was pretty dismayed, and finally the the white light dissipated altogether. There was some still coming out of the bottom of it, uh, and then these lights that were once active running through this fabric, and they're multiple colors, uh, globular 
in shape. Mm-hmm. They they just dissipated too, and then all was left is a black, opaque craft. And I uh, pull pull out my notebook and I said, "I'm get as much information as I can." I look over and I got Burroughs over to the right. He's motionless. I still oh, he's a casualty. He's not moving. He's in the app. I look back to Cabanzac. Like, he's not moving. Nobody's moving except me. Except you. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's so. I'm gonna write down as much information as I can get because I don't think I'm gonna survive it. And uh, then it will leave something for the you know the command structure of the base to work with. And right. That's well. What else are you gonna do in that situation? And uh, so I started to do things. I didn't have nothing to measure it with. So um, uh, I used what I had. I pasted off. My stride's pretty good. I'm six foot two, so uh, you know, three three of my strides. That's about nine feet. That's how long it was. Mm-hmm. It was like that on all sides. Uh, it was about six and a half to seven feet high. And I look, you know, so I look underneath it, and all I see is light coming out of the bottom. This white light, but I could see indentions in the ground. Uh, as I walk around, I see this this writing on. I'm like, oh, thank God, you know, it's going to say, you know. United States Air Force, it's going to say Nassau, it's going to say Soviet, I don't know, it's anything. It, I, was, I was feeling pretty good because this looked uh, something that we could create. And uh, as I came back around, I, I didn't see no like numbers or anything like that, like normal aircraft would have on it. There was a uh, 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 glyphs that were uh, etched into the side of the craft. Mm-hmm. They measured three about three feet. I'm going by my arms again. They measured about three feet uh, long, and then on top of there's five of them, and on top of them there was another bigger one. It was circular with a triangle on that. And this is what's and on the cover of the book, right? That's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly what I seen, and in in, in that, uh, uh, and that's what I recorded in my notebook just like that. And uh, so the fabric of this craft is smooth glass-like that's what it feels like even though it's metal but when i I was going by and i touched the you know the glyphs as i would you know go ahead and you know touch those it breaks up right there uh a little bit the connection got poor but basically was saying they, they felt like sandpaper and uh, yeah, I like Victoria down here. That is physically the world's largest book. It is absolutely huge. Um, just the dimensions of it are uh, really large. I think it's an eight and a half by 11 in size. And it's super, super thick. It's over 700 pages. It's massive. And that's just the first book. Um, I don't know, Victoria, did, did they publish the second one yet? I haven't uh kept up too closely uh with that it's going to get mentioned here uh the second book here and i think the third clip i have from jim um and, and i know these are lengthy clips but uh very very interesting story something to take note here is you know as he has started this uh story and uh yeah not yet okay uh, as he has started this story, the the environment has changed. So, you know, he talks about going, you know, uh, over the berm and how, you know, it felt like he was trudging through water, like waist high water, uh, you know, kind of like walking through the shallow end of a swimming pool sort of thing. Uh, of course, he talks about the bright light and that kind of subsides a little bit uh, and then sees the craft and also, uh, Notice how uh, Burroughs, and I can never say the other guy's name, begins with a K, uh, but both of them have become completely motionless. And that uh, will come into, I believe, uh, an important part here as as we continue on uh, with Jim's story. So let me go ahead and start the, the second clip. This this is a bit of a lengthy one, but uh, but very interesting. As I went back around the second time, I says, you know, those glyphs, uh, there's something to that because the one that got my eye was the triangular one with the. With oh, sure. The, yeah. That's... You know, why is this? Why is this separate? Why is this on top? Why? Yeah, and... Why? 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 Well, and the others you know? look kind of like hieroglyphs while the circular one looks completely different, like something else. Yeah. It seemed more familiar to me. It was a triangle. Yeah. You know, it, it felt better. And uh, so I just reached over and I touched it. 
And when I did that, I mean, it was a bright light. I mean, I can't see nothing but white, pure white light. And uh, in there, I start seeing numbers, you know, ones and zeros. And oh, my God, what the hell is going on? And I started getting my senses. I don't know how long I had my hand on it. I just lifted it (laughs) off. And everything completely stopped, back to normal. Finally make it home. Uh, it's it's late. I, I'm trying to go to sleep. I can't sleep during the daytime. I wake up around, I must sleep for about an hour. And I get up around 1230 at night. Well, I made a pot of coffee. I couldn't sleep anyway. What the hell? So I'm sitting at my dining room table. And so I'm now second guessing stuff, you know, traumatized. I, I get my notebook. I pull it from the dresser and I'm looking at it. I'm looking at what I wrote, my notes and that. And I got these ones and zeros just running through my head. I said, man, you know what? I I think I can write these damn things down. And so I just flipped to the back of the book. You know, I had, uh, I had the notebook, yeah, because that's paper was in my hand. And I started writing, you know, zero, zero, one, 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 zero, zero, one. And when I did that, I felt better. Uh-huh. So, and this is one of the pages so, here, right? This, the, yeah, this is all in the mind's eye. Yeah, zero ones. Uh, yeah, there, that's it. Um, and uh, I write, write down uh, sixteen pages. These. Now, while you were out there, you did lose like forty-five minutes of time. So yeah, that's all that, part did, of it, right? Yeah, but I realized that when I got back uh, to CSC, my watch is forty-five minutes off. To me, everything's instantaneous. Uh, uh, my first thought is because of the static electricity and all the stuff I had electronic mm-hmm. watch and that was sort of high tech at the time, electric watch, uh, battery operated. Uh, maybe it was affected by that or something, you know, uh, okay. or it could have been, it could have been something more nefarious. I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of stuff. You, know, yeah. you go, what if? Yeah. And what is really the kicker is the part about Jack, Dr. Jack Safari, um, from San Francisco, uh, he's he's a theoretical physicist. He says the only answer what happened. His theory on there mirrors his research on the Tic Tac. So. I mean, the the meta uh, material for the the fabric, the shell of the craft. Okay. Why it would do a bubble, which I was in the bubble around mm-hmm. the craft because it's got to do with. Uh, 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 changing the gravity, the perception of what you see. Oh, it just matches. Identity. And and, now, and Jack told me, he says, Jim, he says, I'm with you. He says, no wonder you never said it was a UFO. No wonder you never said it was alien. He says, because the one thing you always says, it was us, us from the future. And he says, I believe that. He says, I had a, a a similar experience back in the 50s myself he says and all my research is actually toward that and that this is interdimensional travel or a hollywood term can be called time travel right interdimensional travel and in this case with what you experienced and what happened out there in the forest what do you think they might be trying to protect us from why oh them them is that what you're talking about oh Uh, I don't think it's got anything to do with us. I think it's got to do with something with them in the future. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it has anything. Well, does does that have something to do with us? I guess technically that would if you use that premise. Uh, uh, Some of the uh, uh, impressions or communications that were exposed in the... uh, uh, hypnosis uh, session by my doctor in 94 after I was out uh, went into all that kind of stuff that uh, it's like they were trying to uh, change uh, events in the future and I don't know how that could ever happen by coming to Rendlesham Forest that night I mean I I'm not sure what the how that could do anything in the future. Right. I, I, um, well, unless it's the binary, I, I don't know. Yeah. If, if, if I recall uh, in your hypnosis, it, it, there was something in there about uh, the chromosomes and they were coming back and, and trying to get yeah. some chromosomes. And yeah, it, it'd be unclear as to what exactly they would need them for, but it sounded like that there was some sort of uh, trouble with, um, or with the future culture. Yeah. 
or some something. I hate to say that because it sounds grim. Right. Uh, but uh, the Hopi know. said, you know, we're the ones. What was it? Uh, we're the ones we're looking for, or we're the ones we're waiting for, or we're waiting for us, or something like that. Um, like something is going to happen, and we have to come back and save ourselves. Did you lose forty-five minutes of time? Or your watch was 45 minutes off? Was that because what? you were in the sphere of influence? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> you, you read the book. Uh -huh. yeah? Well, parts. <laughs> okay. No, the uh, the 45 minutes, I had an electric watch at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was, even for the time, even when I came back to central security control and I see the watches off 45 minutes from the, you know, the control center clocks, I just figured it stopped, you know, because of the electrical, uh, static electricity, things right. like that. And then, and then this, this phenomenon that was going inside the sphere of influence was right. caused it to stop. Uh, so I have deducted that it's 45 minutes is how, how long I've been there. But I'll tell you what, uh, in, for me, in real time, it was just a matter of minutes. I mean, five, ten minutes, maybe. Have you seen the sculpture that they've made that's out there now? Yes, uh, it, I got a... Oh, yeah, I do have a photo of that. It, is that what it really looked like? Well, it's not bad. Uh, it was that size? I mean, because that looks... Uh, it's about that size. The size is about right. I'll tell you what, I got a whole... Um, the forestry service got a hold of me. I can't remember when it was. It was quite a long time ago. And they says, can you give us a hand on this? I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll provide you some sketches. And uh, I says, uh, and I can also give you the uh, symbols and that that were on the side of it and where they were at. So I did. And they, they said, well, we can do it. We'll get the size about right. He says, but the, the sheet metal guy can't make it, you know, ergodynamic right. like, like it was. If I said, okay. <laughs> I said, yeah, okay. And but they did get the symbols and they did put them on it. So it's not it's not bad. I mean, I think the worst thing the forest uh, forestry service did is they created the UFO trail, which is not the trail. Okay, so yeah, I know that was a bit of a longer clip, but there's a lot of lot of information in there. The way he uh, describes that night, the way he describes. Um, a lot of the different concepts and ideas of what happened there. And uh, yeah, Victoria, uh, she had mentioned here the uh, sphere of influence. So basically, you know, that that bubble that that he walked into. So this missing 45 minutes of time from within this, quote unquote, sphere of influence. Uh, I remember the other guys that were there were completely motionless. So. And what I believe was going on in this moment was as he entered into that sphere, that bubble, whether it was a gravity sort of thing, Jim is feeling a bunch of static here. He was already you know, feeling like he had to trudge through something. The other guys in the area are motionless. So this sphere, something has happened in this place where time is suddenly working at a different speed. You know, perhaps on a, uh, on a different frequency, something like that. Uh, back at what we call the Conjuring House, the uh, the farmhouse there in Harrisville, Rhode Island, where uh, uh, the parent family experienced their their hauntings. Uh, Andrea, if you read her books, just talk to her, what have you, uh, she will talk about that there were times where you felt like you were in a bubble, especially upstairs in their bedrooms where you felt like you were in a bubble and time just worked differently. They would have all of this crazy stuff happen for a long period of time, you know, up in those rooms and then go downstairs and it was like no time had passed at all. So uh, with Jim, it's a little bit different where in his experience, it was like, very little time had passed when actually more time had. Um, you know, he he felt like things went by very quickly, and then his his watch was forty five minutes off. You look at, um, you know, Betty and Barney Hill. You know, there's two hours there that they can't account for, where you know it was just like a moment, and then two hours are gone. 
you look at Travis Walton. For him, uh, you know, his initial uh, reaction was he got blasted in the chest, and then he wakes up on the road when five days had passed, and it took hypnosis to figure out more things had happened, but still not really, you know, sure how long that took. So now we have Jim being inside this static-filled sphere in which time is working differently. Now, he mentioned Zach, uh, Jack Safardi there. And um, you know, Jack you know, has, an, he has ideas and concepts uh, similar to mine about you know, time all being concurrent. Um, you know, of course, I have my stack time theory and liking everything to be in a stack of photos uh, on top of each other. I'm not quite sure of all the specifics of, of uh, his theories, but I have seen him on, I've never met him. I have seen him on different television shows and interviews and things like this. And he does, um, at least in those particular interviews, uh, basically likens all UFO activity to being us from another point in time. And, you know, I'll certainly give credence to that idea that some of these incidents are, and Rendlesham is one um, which he does say that uh, Jim is is on board with that idea that this was something from our future. And the story here is that they were coming back looking for apparently, uh, you know, some sort of chromosomes. Basically, something medically was happening in the future where they needed to come back to the past to get something to help the future. Um, and you know, that's that's totally possible. We we have seen cases like the Mandela effect. Um, where the future has influenced the past. Uh, we see that in in dreams. I just wrote an entire chapter on dreams. Uh, Jen just read it. She could tell you about it, in which um, you know, I do you know, talk about these you know, dreams and premonitions of the future. And um, you know, those dreams will they can influence a person's ideas and thoughts going forward. So that's something that may have happened in the future. They will not do, um, you know, or they might be like, well, this was familiar. This was out of a, a dream. And then they end up, you know, making a, a different decision. Um, so, you know, Jim was in that interview is like, you know, I don't, you know, I kind of don't know how, uh, you know, that would, you know, affect us here. It's like, well, actually, if you think about it, just the fact that that incident happened completely changed the lives of everybody involved. So, you know, if they had not come back in that, in that time, not, to, not to say that, you know, they were coming back to change those guys' lives. Maybe, you know, there could have been something uh, with that as well. But um, yeah, definitely their presence here has influenced things and you know a number of these different ufos and uips and things like that could very well be us from a future generation that is working on or has learned some sort of uh you know time travel capability so um you know the idea that they're us yeah uh when we look at something like you know, Travis Walton's experience with what would, would be called the Greys and the Nordics, the Greys being the smaller ones, the Nordics being the uh, the much bigger ones. Um, maybe a very far in the future evolved form of us, you know, that's been postulated that, you know, these entities could have, uh, you know, changed over time. It's It's interesting in that particular story to see the two together um, that, you know, humans that would have, uh, evolved in different ways end up together, you know, working with each other. Um, but you know, I suppose we can give us some credence. All right. I do have another, uh, clip here that, uh, that includes Jim and then, uh, we'll play, uh, Terry and then we'll, <laughs> we'll wrap up this crazy evening. So, well, this is book one timeline. What do we expect for book two from you? 
It's all on Gary. Gary's going to take his. Um, <laughs> it is. Uh, the, we, I designed the first book that, as book one. Just to let you know, book one, Rendlesham mm-hmm. Enigma, is definitive book on the Rendlesham Forest incident. Now, Gary's going to go ahead and uh, write about his discoveries, his theories, and his research on what the binary code means and what it's for uh and uh that's gonna it's a lengthy process i'm sure it's gonna take him a while to do that he's been writing it for uh, quite a while now okay uh, any any theories that have been postulated that you can uh, reveal to us here well it reinforces uh, uh even uh to a harder degree uh the, the interdimensional travel mm-hmm. time travel it does there's, there's no question that uh, I don't think there's any question that it's, uh, you know, it's us from the future. Um, I just can't prove it yet. Right. And uh, hopefully Gary will have that research done where he can be able to do that. Right now he's got, uh, uh, you know, by taking the uh, coordinates uh, from around the world uh, that were on the uh, binary code, yeah, there's stuff that's right. you know down to you know one inch on global scale, and uh, he uh, believes uh, one of his theories is that he believes that they actually point out to a hidden chamber in Giza, and uh, he had one of his uh, thoughts on that are is that he thinks it will have uh, information contained in that chamber. That oh, interesting. Yeah, so I don't want to. I don't want to steal his his No, that's research. fine. That's, but that's really uh, interesting know, because no, they a have, lot of the stuff we're yeah. yeah, a lot of the stuff we're talking about uh, on this mic is you know uh, personal skypes back and mm-hmm. forth, and then I, and I'm not sure what he's putting in the book. I think that's going to be some of it. Okay. Uh, uh, matter of fact, it's important because uh, well, the math won't. I can tell you what the stuff he sent mm-hmm. me so far, the math doesn't lie. I mean. The, it's it's math i mean right <laughs> so yeah i mean it just doesn't lie it doesn't have feelings or it doesn't have you know uh someone projecting a thought with it i mean it's math yeah, you crunch the numbers and this is what you get that's right yeah that's I, right i think my statistics class hated me so i don't know I, I can't <laughs> oh, yeah. so your your mind's geared for all that mine is not oh. as you can tell no, I, I i'm out of that class but um, oh. is gary the one that found the code within the code yes he had yeah, it was gary okay uh yeah i tell you what it was pretty interesting how that stuff happened because we we're just getting finished on writing uh, you know the reynolds from uh, enigma mm-hmm. and um stuff he would over the last couple of years he'd send me uh somewhere we we'd actually, we actually spent about 20 to 30 hours a week on skype writing the book by the way oh that's so cool yeah and uh, <laughs> yeah and uh when you'd send me a piece of information about that i i would have a wow factor every time you did that and i said my god I said, that's what is that's what, yeah. are, what are the chances of that happening? Wow. You know. But somewhere around 50, 60, 70 times of stuff's being sent. And I was going, wow. I says, you know, Gary, this, this seems like it might be by design. And he mm-hmm. says, exactly. He says, that's my thoughts too. So it's all connected. It's all connected. Did you hear that, Mike? Yeah, I heard that. that <laughs> sounds like connected, connected universe to me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There we go, connected universe. And uh, yeah, Victoria says that Gary's book did come out in February, this past February, weighs 1.61 pounds, where Jim's weighs 2.64 pounds. It, those are big books. Yeah, those are definitely big books. Um, yeah, so interesting there uh, with the... Um, with the ideas of a connection there to Giza with the uh, coordinates. So that's the uh, interpretation there of the, the binary code that you see here. And uh, yeah, with, with Jim, now Jim wasn't a little bit different with his story than others. Now he experienced, uh, you know, some of the interesting uh, differences in time. He wasn't really, abducted in a sense as that okay he was in a sphere in which time worked differently for him uh but 
something did get a hold of his mind in this incident to you know get this download of data and uh he did not sleep well at all he still doesn't sleep all that well but uh he went to uh you know various doctors had hypnotherapy sessions uh years and years later to try to figure out why in the world could he not sleep he was getting like an hour or two uh per night and that was it and it all came back to uh this particular incident so while not a you know classic abduction going up onto the spaceship and uh you know having the medical procedures that sort of thing um you know in in a way his his mind was abducted and he did have the uh experiences there with the differences in time so you know in in that moment you know time could have very well just paused for him they could have taken him out of the what we call the river of time um for him to be able to experience uh, a number of these different things that that he did there and there are some other different things that happened there during that isn't these are just some clips long clips uh that i put together to describe the incident but i want to make sure that you guys had uh that information so we move on to uh to terry lovelace here and uh then we'll wrap it up that was interesting what's interesting about uh terry uh is uh you know, again another air force veteran so there's a little bit of a pattern here uh you know jim's an air force veteran terry's an air force veteran i'm an air force veteran um, our friend Rick Doty is an Air Force veteran. So there's a lot of connections here back to uh, the Air Force with a lot of these different incidents that happen. Uh, but also with Terry, uh, he was a, um, uh, by profession, uh, he was a lawyer, he's a retired lawyer. And he actually served for a while as the Assistant Attorney General for the state of Vermont. Uh, so you have a very you know, high-profile, learned in individual that's coming forward with this, but he really couldn't talk about it, you know, during that time that, you know, he served you know, because, you know, he's got a, he's got a career, he's got a family, all those different things. After he retired, he's like, I'm going to talk about it. So um, let's go ahead and give you Terry's clip. It's also a little bit of a long one. Uh, I, I basically you know, give you, uh, pieced it together, but this is essentially his whole story without doing three separate clips like we did with Jim. So we uh, went on with our conversation and we're just kind of, uh, you know, just chatting and having a nice time. And he's fixated to something on the Western horizon. And what he saw was a cluster of three little stars packed in a tight triangle sitting above the horizon. And he asked me, were those there before? And I'm like, no, those weren't there before at all. I mean, the only light we could see was on the eastern horizon. We could see the dim little glow from the campsite, the park's campsite that was some miles away. So I'm looking at these things, and they're, they're, they're too far above the horizon to have been lights from a train or a parking lot or something. And then they moved. They rotated like they were on an axis, which was strange. I wasn't expecting that motion and then they started, what it did was it turned, rotated about 120 degrees and aligned the base of the, of the triangle parallel with the horizon. And then it started to go up into the air. And as soon as that happened, I felt this weird sensation of calm wash over me. And my friend must, did experience the same thing and was in the same kind of, uh, almost a twilight kind of thing. I felt um, mildly sedated and uh, kind of disinterested. I mean, I'm watching this thing play out, but not like a, not like a participant, more like a observer, if that makes sense. I feel like I feel detached, dissociated from it in some way. You know, our our emotions were muted; it, they were they were inappropriate. I mean, when you see something like this, we should have had some kind of reaction other than, you know, just kick back on airbags mattresses, watching this thing play out. Yeah, you think usually you'd be surprised and you know be pointing in the air, hey, look at that, and, and- some sort of excitement, but yeah, that was, you seemed you know, to have like the exact opposite reaction. We, we did. We did. And yeah, I mean, no, you're, you're spot on, you know, two people experience something, you would want to be validating each other. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? What could that be? And there was none of that conversation. We could see that it was headed in our direction and we had no, um, no fear uh, and really very little curiosity 
it was just a strange event. And we watched it as it as it as it dropped down. It um, it grew. It got bigger. You know, and the points all remained equidistant to one another as it spread apart. Let me ask you this. I use this graphic here for you know the the thumbnail art. You know, I just grabbed it off the the internet, but I mean, is that similar to what it looked like? I mean, this is some artist interpretation of a triangular shaped UFO. It's very similar. I've seen this before, but that it's it's the one we saw was different in that it was a bit deeper than that. And the lights were on what I called a light bar that ran the length and depth, the depth of the thing on each point of the triangle. And then underneath, there seemed to be a round circular uh, light of some kind that we really wasn't, didn't light up until it had, had parked over our heads. Um, Grab the illustration off your website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's the best representation there. That shows that what I call a light panel and there was a little bar of light that would run up and down that. And mm-hmm. as it was moving around, I think that it, when it was in the sky, it gave the impression of a twinkling star. What it did was it came in at about 3,000 feet over the top of the meadow. So we could really only, only see the underside. And we saw some lights that came from the center. And underneath, there was a cylinder of white light that had that quality like a like a high power search pot light you see cutting through fog, you see a column of white light, but of course right. there was no, there was no fog. There was just this visible white light. And that turned on, I mean, just in an instant and hit our campfire and stayed there for maybe 60 seconds. And then it turned out. And then immediately after that, there came um, a laser and lasers were kind of a new concept in 1977. I'd seen them on TV. I'd never <laughs> seen them for real before. So um, this was a laser about the set, about the diameter of a, of a lead pencil, and it landed in um, the campsite and would stay in one spot for a millisecond and then land somewhere else and then somewhere else. So it had this illusion of like dancing all around the campsite, but it was hitting all the things that we brought. It hit me in the chest a couple times. I never felt a thing. I know it hit my friend. It hit the fire, hit the tent, hit his cooler, hit uh, his backpack, my car. And, you know, I, I thought, you know, this thing's checking us out. I mean, it, it made sense. It's scanning us. And uh, that lasted a couple minutes. And then that went out. And then from there, we just got, I got incredibly sleepy. I mean, it shifted from mild sedation and disinterest to just absolutely all I wanted to do was go in a tent, lie down and go to sleep. And that's what we did. And, you know, with this thing 3,000 feet over our heads, thankfully, we had camped off to the side and it wasn't directly over our heads. Um, But, yeah, again, that's, you know, not rational behavior. That's not what people do. So, yeah, we went we went in the tent. We went to sleep or we were I don't think we were asleep. I think we were unconscious. And that's when they took us. I woke up. um, I had no idea what time it was because my watch had stopped. I had a nice mechanical wind up watch. It had stopped. And I woke up to these flashing lights um, through the canvas of the tent. They were really bright. They were as bright as camera flashes. And they were they would light up the inside of the tent like crazy. And that's what woke me up. And I woke up and I didn't have my wits about me. And I'm thinking, where am I? Oh, yeah, we're camping. That's right. And I sat up and I noticed that my shoes, well, my co- I wore my combat boots. They'd been unlaced all the way down almost. I knew I didn't do that. I went to bed with my boots laced to the top. And, you know, I would have taken them off maybe, or I'd have left them on, but I wouldn't have left them like that. That makes sense. So, and I wasn't frightened, but you know what I was? I was annoyed. And and I I sat up and I took them off and my socks were on sideways. And that confused me because I knew I didn't do that. So I took everything off, put everything on right, laced up my shoes. And I turned my attention to my friend who's on his knees looking out his flap of the tent at something in the meadow. And um, I'm thinking that these flashing lights are from a park, you know, flashing overhead lights from a park ranger's truck there to kick us out. That's what I thought. And I'm like, Toby, man, what is it? Is it, is it park rangers? What's out there? And in one of these flashes of light that lit up the inside, because unless these lights were flashing, the inside of the t- tent was very dark. But in one of these flashes of light, I could see 
the uh, light here uh, fluoresced the tear. There was a tear track down the right side of his face. Hmm. And that, that frightened me. And that was the first bit of fear that I experienced because I couldn't think what could make this guy cry. And uh, I pulled back of the flap of the tent on my side and I looked out into the meadow and this thing that was 3,000 feet over our heads when we went to bed had descended and was now 30 feet over the floor of the meadow. So do you think maybe he was abducted before and this was something just, you know, like salmon going upstream to spawn, you have to go back, but you don't know why. Do you think maybe he was just, because there were so many synchronicities, you know, you forgot your camera and the chain was undone and everything just stacked up so easily for y'all to it, get there. It felt like we were keeping an appointment. Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, at the time, no, it didn't. But right. in retrospect, yeah, it was like keeping an appointment. Yeah, so definitely some interesting things there that we get from Terry in his experience. So that was at uh, what's known as Devil's Den. It's out in Arkansas. Um, we actually can't get there now because apparently of, um, I guess, the, the government owns the land now, uh, from, if I recall correctly. And what is interesting about that is if you actually look at satellite footage of it now, um, it is it's actually in the shape of a triangle and they keep it mowed. You know, so for some reason, this place out in the middle of nowhere that they just, you know, went camping, um, you know, these days is still kept mowed, even though there's nothing going on up there. Uh, but somebody wants to take care of it. And yeah, it is interestingly in the shape of a triangle itself. Now, Terry talked about, feeling these different uh, you know, sensations and feeling strangely calm. And, you know, he used the word sedated. Uh, so basically something, again, we're talking about, you know, a shift in environment. Something has, has changed here. Something is affecting them. So with Jim uh, Penniston, it was, it was static. Um, with, with Terry, it was more of this, you know, very nonchalant, you know, kind of dreary, sleepy, uh, and they actually did fall asleep. You got this massive UFO over the top of your tent, and you're like, oh, yeah, there, there it is. Uh, let, let's go to sleep. And they crash out and wake up at some point. Um, you know, he continues on with the with the story there with with his friend, and his friend is asking him, "Don't you don't you remember? You know that they that they took us and you know Terry." Uh, at that time is not remembering any of that. Um, but, you know, kind of the same that we've seen with, uh, you know, uh, Betty and Barney, with Travis, uh, you know, some sort of medical procedure has been done. And with, uh, with Terry, it's, it's an implant. Uh, he, when he got x-rays on his legs, he was, he was a runner who was having some problems with his legs. And they had, um, and actually have the x-rays here. Um, if you look at the uh, top of the leg there, this is, a, well, above the knee. That's that's actually the knee joint. Um, you can see the strange square and what looks like two antenna reaching out of it. Uh, so you know, one of the things apparently that happened during these medical procedures, he was given an implant. And that is something that you see um, in a number of these different abduction cases is where uh, people do get these implants. Uh, it was interesting with the television show, uh, Project Blue Book, which, I mean, it's kind of based on, well, I mean, they use J. Allen Hynek uh, within the show, and they've kind of meshed, you know, a couple of different characters in the one, and stuff like that. Uh, the cases that they go on are based on uh, real cases, but you know, a lot of different things are fudged. With the Betty and Barney Hill case, um, Instead of them like going out to uh, to New Hampshire check things out, all of a sudden Betty and Barney, you know, burst into uh, their office in Ohio, and uh, and, and Barney has an implant. Uh, so you know, it's the Hollywood, but they based it on um, a number of different things that uh, have happened in other cases, and they kind of combine those different things. But yeah, the implants are something that uh, that are reported a lot, and. Um, Yes, interesting. That's owned by the government, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's the same people who mow Machu Picchu. Yeah, who mows that up there? Where <laughs> there's no little guard uh, 
or uh, grounds crew shack up there. Um, but, um, but yeah, you see a lot of these uh, similarities between some of these cases and it might change a little bit from here to there. Like, okay, with, uh, with Terry, his watch completely stopped where Jim's was off by 45 minutes, 45 minutes. We don't know what happened to it where with Terry, it just completely stopped. So, um, so yeah, you see these similarities, but a little bit different, uh, you know, something has happened with time here. Now, did time completely break? We don't know. Did, were they taken to some other dimension, some other place in space time? Um, you know, even though it's a physical craft that we are seeing in many of these cases, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is, you know, physically uh, Newtonian physics. And this is something that we've talked about in the past when, you know, extraterrestrials are going to perform some sort of space travel. We, okay, we don't know how long their lifespans are. But like for us, um, we we can't make that kind of journey. Like we're still... You know, we've been looking at, okay, Mars, which is relatively close to us, but the length of time it would take to get there and what would happen to the human body and how it would break down, like bone loss, muscle loss, that sort of thing, um, it would be very challenging for a human to be able to perform that, although they are gearing up to try to figure out how to send people there and do all of that. So for space travel to another solar system somewhere yeah now we're talking you know i mean honestly we can't even get there uh you know a person's lifespan would be gone um so you know how do they travel here well it's probably not just strictly you know the propulsion that we know of um you know they may have other technology of course that maybe propels them faster how that would exert those forces onto their body we don't know but more likely they have figured out something like einstein rosen bridge um you know they may have figured out the whole you know how do we travel uh across space time without time passing sort of thing so have they figured out how to uh raise themselves into another dimension say the fifth dimension sort of thing um, which would be above time where you could see all moments of time to be able to drop themselves into another place in time to be able to do that. Of course, there is the idea of that they could be not necessarily us. I know people say us, humans, you know, it's us coming back. It could be another intelligent life form and another intelligent being who has come to earth, you know, millions from millions of years from now after humans have, maybe we've annihilated ourselves. Maybe we have, uh, you know, left the planet uh, because you know, we destroyed the planet or whatever. And we needed to go find somewhere else to live. And we figured that out. And then millions of years later, the earth healed itself in another life form another intelligent form came from somewhere else landed on planet earth began a civilization here but also knew how to traverse time and dimensions so they could be what we would call kind of quote-unquote ultra terrestrials which would be another type of life form here with us at another point in time um or within another dimension here. And if they are in another dimension, then we are, I mean, right now we're in the fourth dimension. So anything above our dimension, they are outside of time and they can see all of that. There's up to 11 dimensions. So, um, yeah, Star Trek four. Yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. Kind of like that. Sure. Um, you don't even know how to drive to Fort Worth. It's only an hour away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So those are some different ideas about um, what may be happening here with, um, you know, with with ET abductions, uh, 
and how time is working differently in these incidents. You know, they could be taking them to, some people talk about going to these people's home world. Not in, yes, while they may initially go onto a craft, uh, there's some sort of Stargate or portal on the craft that takes them to these other locations. So then it begs us to, to wonder, is that the same type of technology that powered Stargates here previously on Earth? So you know, Earth has quite a storied history, and it's going to have quite a storied future until 5 billion years from now when, of course, the sun encompasses the Earth and destroys it. <laughs> but in the meantime, you know, I mean, that's a long ways away. You know, um, conventional, traditional uh, science tells us that, you know, intelligent humans have only been around for about 200, 250,000 years. Because we're finding artifacts that are much older, but still we're talking up to, you know, a million. Unless you look at something like the London hammer, where it's like the, the handle starting to turn into charcoal. It's like, well, then now you're talking tens of millions. But still, you're not even close to a billion at that point, you know, let alone, and the earth is what, uh, four and a half billion years old. It's going to last another five billion. You're right kind of like smack in the middle of the lifetime for the planet. You know, we're just kind of a small bit of it in there. So there's a lot that has preceded us and a lot that is going to proceed us. All right. That will do it for this evening. Appreciate you guys bearing through the tech issues. Uh, for those listening to the podcast version of us later, uh, please go ahead and join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, connecteduniverseportal.com. Then you can actually watch the clips. You can uh, take part in the slide presentation, all of those wonderful things. Come and join the chat ask your questions live. It'll be like uh, Jen, Victoria, Jeanette, Haley, who are down there this evening. Um, where's, where's Tom, our super chat superstar? Where's he this evening? And others who usually join us. So, all right, everybody, that will do it for this evening. Till next time, time really exists. <laughs>